0: today we are finishing our series called top three and over the last few weeks we've studied the first couple we surveyed 300 people and the top three answers are on the board and the first answer was why do bad things happen we talked about that uh, i guess two or three weeks ago and then uh, a great question isn't it and if you weren't able to be here for that one or the last one you can certainly request a cd or dvd or go online you can get it there for free Last time we were together, we talked about what is God's will for my life? That's a good question, isn't it? What am I doing on this earth? Why am I living on planet earth? And we talked about that a little bit. But today's message is about, does God really love me? As we looked at the responses that you gave to the surveys, that question kept coming up over and over again. You know, what's really interesting is that this week, That question and the need for this message has been reinforced many times in my heart as I've talked to so many people, and I do every week, but it seems like this week it was just such a theme that many people wondering, Pastor Robbie, does God really care about my life? Does God really love me? How does he feel about me? And as we ask that question, I just want to paint a picture of you of maybe how that looks to God. And just so you can catch a little bit of the heart of God. What if you had a child and and what if no matter what you said or what you did, what if your child said, Mom, Dad, I just I just have a hard time believing that you're proud of me. I have a hard time believing that you love me. Wouldn't that break your heart, parents? You just say, honey, how can I tell you? You don't even know how much my heart, how deep my love for you. I believe it breaks the heart of our Lord that we would wonder about that. And that's why I want us to tackle this question together today. Does God really love me and you? And I want us to think about it from a couple of different angles. Really, why would we wonder about this? What is it that's happening in our life that would cause us to doubt his love for us? And the first thing I want us to talk about is probably the most prevalent or prominent reason that I find that people struggle with this. And the first thing is this. You say that God loves me, but what about all the wrong things that I've done? Has anybody ever heard of the term BC? Okay, BC stands for what? It stands for before Christ. Now, it used to be that B.C. meant, when you saw B.C., it was like 100 B.C. That meant that date in history was 100 years before Christ. And then we would use A.D. for like 2010. It's A.D. 2010. That was just basically an abbreviation of a Latin phrase that meant in the year of our Lord. And it basically meant since Christ was born, this is how many years have elapsed. You may not know this, but some of the kids need to be ready when they go to college. They've actually, we've gotten too smart for that now. And now instead of B.C., we use B.C.E. Listen how exciting this is! A thousand B.C.E. means a thousand years before the Common Era. Oh, that sounds inspiring, doesn't it? Or two thousand ten A.D. Now it's now it's instead of A.D. Now we use C.E. That, we don't, but scholars scholars do. Now they say two thousand ten C.E. in the Common Era. Doesn't that sound scholarly? We've just kind of sanitized the world of Jesus because, you know, he was really kind of just wasn't acceptable. Sad, isn't it? You know, even if you try to take Jesus out of dates, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you know good and well you've got be BC, don't you? There was a time in your life that you did not know Christ. There was a time in your life that you were separated from God. You didn't have a relationship with Him. But there came a point in your life when you put your trust in Jesus and your life changed, didn't it? The Bible seems to indicate that we go from death to life. We go from darkness to life. That's pretty dramatic, isn't it? From death to, light, to life. I mean, if you were at a funeral and, and the person in the coffin sits up, that that's that's kind of dramatic. Everybody's going, wow, something has changed here. Amen. so there's a clear time in my life that i was without the lord and unfortunately many of us did some really bad things didn't we that still haunt our lives and when we hear about god's love for us we say you know what i can't help but wonder after all the things that i've done how could god possibly love me we struggle with that don't we as we think about that i want us to turn to the book of romans romans chapter 8 i want to look at verse 1 with you and i heard uh, just to share with you a couple of things that people have said to put romans 8 in context listen to what someone said about romans 8 one bible teacher said this you could make the case that the book of romans is the himalayas of the bible now the himalayas are the what the highest mountains in the world wow what they're saying is the book of Romans, that, that's, the, that's the mountain peaks. Those are some pretty important places in God's world. Listen to this. And if that is true of Romans, Romans chapter 8 could be it's Mount Everest. Now, what is Mount Everest? Mount Everest, go ahead, buddy, what is it? That is correct. He's the star student. Mount Everest is the tallest mountain in the tallest chain of mountains in the world. It's the highest peak in the world. And what this person was saying, and you could say, well, I think it's this chapter, I think it's this passage of Scripture, and that's fine. I mean, all Scripture's great, amen? But I think it's worth noting that a Bible teacher would say, wow, this chapter is, at the least, pretty important, amen? Somebody else said this about that critical chapter. They said, if you could sum up the message of that chapter In one word, that one word would be assurance. Isn't that great? I mean, if there's a a mountain peak, if there's a tall spot in God's word at the top of it, it would say, you can be certain. Isn't that cool? Let's read Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, therefore, there is now, friend, listen, because we struggle with this. Listen to God's word therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in christ jesus we struggle with guilt we struggle with condemnation by the way i don't want to pull the rug completely out from underneath that that is a correct struggle that is a correct sense before we come to god we are guilty right We are sinners. We we are facing the judgment of God. And that needs to be a concern for us. But the kicker here in these verses is the thing that totally transformed the situation. We go from guilt and judgment that we're going to face to forgiveness and cleansing and the love of God in our lives. What makes the difference? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. When you are in Christ, the Bible says there is no more guilt. Praise his name. There is no more condemnation. You may feel like you deserve those things, but you are wrong. The Bible teaches that you are no longer seen like that by God. You are forgiven and loved by your heavenly father. In fact, this is really awesome. It's interesting to note that where it says, therefore, there is now no condemnation. Actually, if you translate it, it's more literally. It says, therefore, there is not one condemnation. Isn't that cool? There is... There's not even one condemnation for those who are in Christ. The reason I think that's significant is because for most of us, there's probably lots of things that we struggle with, but there's probably one primary thing that we really struggle with that we did or that was a part of our experience before the Lord. The Lord says, listen, you are so forgiven, there is not even one thing that can be brought against you now. Isn't that awesome? The Lord is trying to tell us today, I love you. I've forgiven you. No matter what you've done wrong, I have chosen to give myself to you. Listen to some other verses that talk about that. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1, it says, Behold, look at this, pay attention, the Lord says, The Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save. You know what people tell me but Pastor Robbie? You don't understand. You don't know how much I have done that's wrong, that's sinned against God. You know what the Bible seems to indicate here? It does not matter how far you have gotten away from God. It does not matter how deep the hole is that you have dug. You are not too far away from God to save you. Isn't that good news? No matter who you are, no matter how you compare with me or anybody else, God says you are not too afar, too far away for, for him. Psalm 103, verse 13. Or actually in verse 11, it says, listen to this, for as high as the heavens are above the earth. That's pretty, that's pretty high, isn't it? As, as, as people are studying the heavens and the stars, that's a pretty good distance, isn't it? For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness. That word loving kindness is, is comparable with that word, uh, synonymous with that word agape in the New Testament, the Greek word for love, which means unconditional love, as far as the heavens are above the earth that's how great is that kind of unconditional love of god toward those who fear him that's a lot isn't it as far as is this impressing you guys not me but is this impressing you guys as far as the east is from the west so far Friend, listen, God is calling out to you. I'm trying to tell you no matter what you've done, your sins have been forgiven. As far as the East is from the West, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. Just why? Why would He do that? Because He understands. He knows we're sinners, He knows we need a Savior. He loves us just as a father has compassion on his children. So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He knows how we're put together. He knows we're going to mess up. He is mindful that we are but dust. That's why we need a savior. Why do we fight that? Why don't we just admit it? I need a savior. Thank you, God, for providing the savior. Somebody said, I think it was D.L. Moody that said, God has a pond in his backyard. And he takes all those sins and he throws them in the depths of that pond and he puts a no fishing allowed sign up in his pond. You know, I think sometimes the Lord would just say to some of you, stay out of my pond. Quit pulling those things back up. Second Corinthians chapter five, verse 17, it could not be any plainer. If any man is in Christ, what is he? He is a new creature. He is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have been made new. I mean, that cannot be clear, can it? I used to be one way, but I am not that person anymore. If I've been changed by the power of Jesus Christ, when you were baptized, that was symbolic. That didn't change you, but it was symbolic of the change that you experienced in your life. You said, you know what? In my heart, I accepted Christ as my day, my Savior. I accept his death. I died with Christ. I accept his burial. And thank God, I accept his resurrection power. And all throughout the New Testament, it makes clear. It says, so you you walk in newness of life. You are a brand new person. Not the same anymore. Amen? My life has been changed by Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul, let's think about him for just a minute. Isn't he one of the strongest Christians you've ever known? that you've ever known about i mean if it was not for the apostle paul we wouldn't have most of the teachings of the new testament that god gave us through him he was the greatest one of the greatest missionaries if not the greatest besides jesus that ever lived in this world but did you know that the apostle paul was possibly a murderer he was at least an accessory to murder acts chapter eight verse one and acts chapter nine verse one talk about that and by the way you want to talk about bad he wasn't just a murderer he was murdering people who love god He was outright against God and all that God stood for. That's pretty bad, isn't it? So, what'd God do with something like that? Somebody like that? He forgave him and he put him in ministry. Isn't that incredible? Did you know that in Christ you are so forgiven that you are not only loved by God, but you are qualified for the ministry? In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12-17, through 17, the Apostle Paul said, I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service or putting me into ministry. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, I spoke out against God and his ways, and a persecutor and a violent aggressor against God's people. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord Jesus, our Lord, was more than abundant with the faith and love which are found in Christ Jesus." He says, it is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. So he's basically saying, don't talk bad to God, because I know you're not going to believe this. But he says, you can can take this to the bank. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. He didn't come to save perfect people. He didn't come to save people who've, who've done everything right in their lives, because there are none. He came to save sinners. And the Apostle Paul says, and by the way, I'm the worst of them all. That's how the Apostle Paul, hey, we struggle, don't we? The Apostle Paul said, I did some terrible things. I regret those things. Those things, if I let them, could tear at me. I cannot believe I was part of some of the things in my previous life, but I thank God that his grace was sufficient. He forgave me. It's a trustworthy statement. Christ came to save people like me. And you can believe that. He says, for this reason, I found mercy so that in me as the foremost, the worst of all sinners. Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect. Hear God through the ages speaking to your heart. He says that through me, Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience as an example for those who would believe in him for eternal life. God gave us part of the reason he gave us the story of the Apostle Paul is because he wanted to show you that no matter how far you've gotten away from God, you are not too far for God to forgive you and save you. And then Paul just, he just kind of has a little fit here in worship. He says, now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. He just started clapping. He was like, wow, God deserves a lot of praise. No matter how bad your past might be, God loves you. And he wants to be in your life. So the real question is, really, what did Romans 8 say? What's the difference maker? Are you what? Are you in Christ? In Christ, I'm forgiven. I'm resting in him, amen? I don't have anything. I'm not good. I'm not nice. I'm not smart. I'm just in Christ, amen? I'm riding his coattails in. I I don't have any credentials. Hey, I'm with Jesus. Oh, good. We've got reservations for you. That's what I'm saying. And by the way, There are many people that ask me. It breaks my heart when I hear this. Just My heart goes out to you. Is God punishing me for my past? I love him. I'm trying to serve him. But I have a lot of bad things happen in my life. Pastor Robbie, is God punishing me? You know what the Bible says? Jesus says, it is finished. Payment has been made in full. God is not like that. God is not trying to trip you up. God is not trying to make life hard on you. God has saved you from the penalty of your past, and he wants to continue delivering you from the power of your past. He wants you just to more and more. That would be a vague memory in your rearview mirror. Amen? That does not define me anymore. What defines me is who I am in Christ. The main reason I find that people struggle with God's love for them is because of their past, things that they've done. And God's word makes it clear. He does love you. The second thing that's kind of related to that, that many people struggle with is, Am I even worth loving? Many people wonder, is there anything about me that would be valuable, that would be desirable to anybody? You know what? When I hear that, I think about, well, John chapter 10, verse 10. In that verse, Jesus, there's a a huge contrast there in the way God sees us and the way our enemy sees us. And look at John 10, 10. It says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and destroy. Okay, you can say, I don't believe in that whole devil thing and, you know, know, spooky kind of stuff like that. I just, you know, I think that, well, you don't have to believe it, but the Bible says you have an enemy. And if you don't realize that you have an enemy, then you are vulnerable to his attacks. Okay, the Bible says there is a thief, and he is seeking to destroy your life, to steal, to kill, and to destroy your life. But Jesus said, I came that they may have life and that they might have it, and the word here is, it's overflowing it's just like a fountain just spewing that's the kind of life god intends for you to have god says you are worth having a great life he does have a good purpose and plan but what you've got to realize is you have an enemy he hates god and as a result of his hatred of god he hates you because god loves you let me tell you what that enemy does whether it's your past whether it's your personality or your looks or whether it's your the struggles that you continue to have with certain sins, whatever it is, please don't miss this. The enemy has a goal and his goal is to convince you that you are not worth it. I am so tired of that tactic. He has he has used it on me my whole life and he has used it on you because you tell me all the time one of the biggest things that keeps us from moving forward with God is trusting and believing that we truly are worth receiving what God wants to give us. We don't believe it. And as soon as I hear that from people, I say, that is the enemy. And, and, and you hear so many people today even talking about suicide. You know what? Suicide is, is betraying. It's betraying that, that the enemy is working against us. He's trying to destroy our lives. And if he can just get us to end it all, then he's won. I'm going to tell you, that makes me mad. I hope it makes you mad. When you have those struggles, with, I, I'm, I, I, it breaks my heart to hear people say, well, maybe I should just end it all. Oh, dear Lord, please help them to see that is the enemy who is wanting to have the victory in their life. And would you just say, you know what? I thought that was my struggle, but I pray that you would just recognize that the thief comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy your life. And when you have those thoughts of maybe I should just end it all. Listen, this is what people say. Maybe maybe just this earth, this planet would just be better off if I wasn't on it. That is straight from the pit of hell. And if you would just begin to recognize, oh my goodness, that is not me. That is an enemy who is working against me and the purposes God has for my life. I will not allow the enemy to have the victory in my life. Amen? You are precious to God. You most definitely are worth it to God. He would send his own son for you. I cannot get over that. If you really think about it, if you're a parent, I cannot get over that. I love you guys. I mean... The more I'm a, a part of this church family and we get to know each other and we grow together and we experience life together. You are my family. You're my support. You, you help me keep going in life. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm sorry. It came down to it. I would not give one of my kids in place of anybody in this room. I could not do it. I love you. I would do almost anything for you, but I could not bring myself to give over my child for your benefit. I, do not, I, I don't understand how God did that, do you? I do not understand how he gave Christ in our place. Does that not tell us you, wow, you are worth something to God, amen? Something amazing to God. There are many passages I could share with you, but I'll just give you a, a couple to consider. Psalm 139. Verses 13 through 18, it says, for you formed my inward parts. Listen to the care. Listen to the, the uh, uh, just the intimacy that God has with us. You formed my inward parts. You wove me in my mother's womb. It's because of this passage. When we were having our kids, whenever we'd find out we're going to have a baby, I would just pray every day. I'd say, pray, I, God, i just pray that you'd just be forming and shaping their little hands and their eyes and their ears because that's exactly what he's doing, isn't he? He is, he is intimately involved in every step of that development. He says, I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You know, it takes doctors years to learn enough about specific aspects of our body to be able to be a doctor. Doesn't that tell you we are fearfully and wonder? We are very complex. We're, I mean, you can just look. I'm amazing. <laughs> look at me. I can do things. Who came up with this? I am fear it says, Wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. That's just imagery for the mother's womb again. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance, and in your book were all written the days that were ordained for me, when as yet there was not one of them. Did you know when you were in your mom's tummy, that God was writing your story? good grief wow man and you know what that's transformational for some of us isn't it it's not just this god loves you god loves you oh god loves me it's no god is passionate i don't even have words to describe i don't know how to love like god loves his word is helping me to, to add to my vocabulary man To help me to understand more what love is like. One of the young ladies last week in the worship team that sang for us, she quoted Zephaniah 3, verse 17. Did you hear what she said? It says, the Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. I like that. There's a lightning bolt. Boom. Then here comes some gentleness. He will take great delight in you. Does Does that strike you like it does me? I don't use the word delight very often. Do you? I, delightful. In like fact, Shannon will tell you, I don't use superlatives a lot. It, when I really love a meal that she makes, what do you think about? I say, oh, it's good. It was good. You know, I, I was say, that was awesome. You know, and that was fantastic. You know, I don't use delight very often. If I were, if God says about me that I am a delight to Him, that's kind of foreign to me. How about you? He will quiet you. Listen to His care, His tenderness. He will quiet you with His love. Listen to this one. He will rejoice over you with singing. Isn't that odd? I mean, I, I I don't see anybody loving other people that much very often. Amen? Sometimes you see a husband and wife relationship where somebody's just like goo goo gaga, ga, head over heels. I've never seen anybody that's been married for 50 years and they're still like, good grief, did y'all just come off your honeymoon? I mean, they're just like still just like in love with each other. That's the way it ought to be. Amen? That's how God feels. He will rejoice over you with singing. It's Amazing. You are most definitely worth it to God. A third question I think that sometimes people ask, if God really does love me, why is my life in such a mess? You know, sometimes we wonder if God loves us because our lives are in so much turmoil. We can't understand if God loved me so much, why doesn't he do something to change him? Well, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this point today because we sort of talked about that a couple of weeks ago. And there's not really easy answers, are there? Whenever I'm talking about a a struggle that somebody else is going through, I honestly, I don't really want to say a lot because words seem cheap, don't they? If right now you are going through an intense struggle in your life, you ever been going through something tough and somebody just come, oh, just don't worry, be happy, God loves you, and you're just like, could you please leave? You know, you are a major irritation right now and I don't want to, like, slap you, you know, or whatever. (laughs) You ever feel like, you don't, you don't know. You don't understand. Don't just come and try to wash it and make it look all nice and clean. This is bad, I'm hurting, amen? I am super careful about saying much about anything in that regard, but I do want to just give you Just kind of gently, graciously, hopefully, a couple things to think about. When we're thinking about my life is in such a mess, you know, where is God? Does he really love me? It doesn't seem like it to me. The first question I think we've got to ask, and I want to be very careful about this because I don't want it to come across the wrong way, but we have to ask this. Is my mess somewhat self-inflicted? Okay? Okay. Now, again, I want to be careful because somebody's like, well, great. I came to church for encouragement. Now you're saying it's all your fault that your life's a mess. No, that's not what I said. But what I am saying is many times we are upset with God. But the mess we have is not so much God it's a result of some choices we've made. And be very careful with that. We need to check that. But I wouldn't hang out there very long. OK, because there is therefore what now? No guilt or condemnation in Christ. So what I need to do is I need to check myself if there is something that I've done or some sin I've committed. I need to confess that. I need to get it right with the Lord, but then I need to move on, okay? Let's don't hang out there very long, but we do need to check it. But here's the main thing I would challenge you with. Your life's in a mess. You're wondering about God. I just want to ask you, do you trust the Lord? Do you trust Him? Here I am in the middle of this mess, And I'm trying to figure out where God is. I'm not going to give you any easy answers because God's plan is a lot more complicated than I can figure out. But I do want to say this. Sometimes I think God has a lot of fair-weathered friends. Would you all agree? While things are going great, in this service, it's easy to love God and honor Him. But when life gets tough, and it does, doesn't it? Then we start getting upset with Him. Friend, I don't know. I, I don't know. I don't pretend to know. And I pray that you'll have your answer in this life. I, I'm I'm sure God will give you the bigger perspective one day for sure. But do you trust Him? What it comes down to is, I've got to live life, and I've got these issues. Better to walk through it with God than to walk through it without Him. Amen. Amen. So I, I just want to, Gently leave that with you. In the midst of your struggle, not explain the struggle away. Just don't turn away from the only one who can truly help you through it and in it. Last thing that kind of relates to this is we wonder, is he really a loving God? We hope he is. We think he is, but sometimes we're not sure. And some of that's because of things that we've talked about. Let me tell you why many people that I talk with struggle with, is God a loving God? And I think it's good for us to identify this, all right? Many times we're transferring some experience we have here on earth to God. Okay? What I mean by that? Many times we wonder about God because there was probably somebody in our life that we really trusted. Many times I find it's a parent, isn't it? I mean, of all people in this world, wouldn't you think your parents would be your foundation? Wouldn't you think you could depend on them no matter what? Wouldn't you think if there was anybody you could look to for support and family and and, and to back you up or to be representative of God? Don't we? Many times our view of God is shaped by our parents, isn't it? Some of us really struggle with, is God a loving God because we had some parents that maybe didn't represent Him? Maybe it's a spouse. I mean, next to your parents probably the next level is is hey i married someone i gave my heart to somebody i said we're gonna we're gonna come together we're gonna be one we're gonna live our lives together i'm with you for the rest of my life and that person lets you down it's really difficult to trust a god we can't see when people that we really trusted here on this earth that we can see let us down isn't it what kind of god is he how important is love to him 1 Corinthians 13 seems to indicate love is the tops with him. If you're wondering about God, listen, I know it's tough with your struggle, with your experience, with your background. It's tough to believe that anybody for real truly loves, but the Bible seems to indicate you don't have to have any doubt. When you're talking about God, God does love. In fact, it is one of, if not his highest values. In fact, it is so important to God... It actually, in some sense, defines who he is in his very nature. First, uh, First John chapter 4, verse 8 says that God actually is love. It so much defines and describes who he is that you could say, the Bible says, God is love. It's true. He loves you. He really does. In fact, again, one author recently used this term. He has a crazy love for you. I hope, you're, I hope I hope your, your understanding of love is being broadened today. Mine has been thinking about, instead of just saying just kind of blankly, "Oh, God loves you," to think about he's passionate, to think about he rejoices over with you over you, to think about he has a crazy love for you. Those, that's, that's kind of new for me. How about you? That transforms my view of God. Many times I feel so inadequate sharing God's message, and I feel that way today because I know on lots of different levels many of us are struggling with this question. And I know that my words alone cannot convince you that God loves you. I can say till I'm blue in the face. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. All I want to do today is give you his word and allow his spirit to work in your heart and to minister to you on whatever level. Only God can do that. I can't do that. Here's how I want to end this service. As I was praying through this message this week, there was a song that just kind of kept coming back up in my heart, in my mind, and I said, "You know what? I want to play this song at the end of the service and just let God minister to your heart." It talks about He really, really loves us. And this song, really, I went back. I actually looked. Uh, I went back and looked at uh, what the, uh, the the group. It's the David Crowder Band, and uh, it talked about when they wrote this song. It said, you know, the reason they wrote it is the very thing we're talking about today. We struggle with the circumstances of our lives and it causes us to wonder about God. And this song is written to say to you, no, look how much he loves you. I want to just ask you just to bow with me for a moment. And let's just take a few moments as we end the service here today. Just to bow our head and close our eyes and you let God minister to your heart through this song. And I want to make myself available. I'm going to be sitting down front here. I'm going to be letting God speak to me too. But if, 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 you, if you need to pray with somebody, if you need to accept Christ as your Savior, and you say, you know what, I believe, I, try, I want to give my life to Jesus. I don't know how to do that, Pastor Robbie. Would you help me? I'm going to be down front. If there's some other decision you need to make to follow Christ, to trust Him, and you need some help with that, I want to be available. So let's just worship the Lord and let Him minister to your heart through this song.